Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Soshing with Suntwe. If you haven't been with us before, this is a weekly broadcast where we have a different guest on every week, and we believe that uh, we want to celebrate ordinary people who make extraordinary decisions and as a result live extraordinary lives. We don't believe there are any extraordinary people, just ordinary people that make extraordinary choices. Um, if you just give me a minute, uh, bear with me. I'm just going to do a bit of shares so that we can get as many people watching as possible and uh, get the show on the road um, from here. Wow, this makes life simpler since it's shared there. Um, I'm going to share it to some groups. Get it in there. And one more share, two more shares. Uh, that one. <laughs> Last one. There we go. So far, I can see there's five of you there. If if you're with us, please uh, drop a comment, say hi, let us know where you're watching from. Um, it's always nice to be able to see who, where we got uh, audience from around the world and see who you are. And as always, um, this is interactive. Please get involved in the conversation. Uh, drop your comments, drop questions, give us your input, and uh, let's make this as interactive as possible so that we're not just talking at you and let's have a conversation together. So welcome, everybody. Uh, today we have James Moffat from South Africa. Uh, James and I know each other for a couple of years now because we originally met when his son Charles came and spent six months with me as an intern and uh, lived with me in Vic Falls and we kayaked every day and went on adventures every day and did all sorts of crazy cool stuff together and uh, Charles and I became quite close as a result and uh, um, over the years I've chatted to um, James a lot about uh, various uh, ponderings and uh, and uh, things that have bothered me a little bit about uh, the world and the way we, we live in it and uh, today we're going to chat about uh, the human condition and uh, how it pertains to the world uh, through evolutionary biologist Jeremy Griffith's book called freedom so welcome james thank you for coming and uh being with us today it's a, a great pleasure and i'm really looking forward to this chat great thanks thanks paul now thanks for inviting me really good to see you again in the flesh uh, <laughs> pretty close as possible um yeah no, it's incredible how coincidences happen in our world and uh through charlie uh spending five months with you at uh uh, the big Vic Falls and below in the gorge, uh, which um, at the time for his parents wasn't such a good idea, but for him was the best thing on the planet. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, Paul, thanks very much. Yeah, I know it's extraordinary how times change. You, you know, I'm in the UK, London, near London, and we're in uh, the Southern Cape near Cape Agulhas. But yeah. thanks very much. Paul. Look forward to chatting. Man. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, your specialty is in organic farming, is that correct? Yes, um, Paul, yeah, it has been for many years. Um, um, I didn't study agriculture, um, which fortunately, it's um, farming is about mindsets, um, how you approach the farming and um, not having the conventional agricultural mindset, which is based on uh, high intensive production. You know, chemicals and so on. Um, <clears throat> so when I went farming to the family farm, I wasn't um, hampered by those sort of ideas. Um, and after spending some time in the States looking at uh, organic agriculture, uh, amongst other things, um, I came back all, as they say in Afrikaans, feed and flum, too keen to try organics on the old family farm. Um, so when when was this? When did you when did you get in? Oh, so you you come from a farming background. Your your family are farmers. Yeah, yeah. Now the old family farm, fifth uh, fourth generation um, that I was there, Charlie fifth. Um, <clears throat> that was about 1990 when I tackled that that and took that on and um, started in a small way farming organically. Um, trying to the idea was to produce better food. We know the food from. Um, um, you know, a lot of reports around the world, food has been declining in nutritive quality. 
um, and so on, and uh, just isn't what it was uh, 50 or 100 years ago. Um, so I started doing it on a, on a small scale. Um, my father allowed me to play around in a couple of fields, and uh, eventually the whole farm, um, which is just over a thousand hectares, was converted to organic. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so it, it was a big operation. We tackled um, everything um, that we could in the sense of adding value, in other words, selling the final product to the consumer. So we didn't just produce uh, wheat, for example. Um, we would add, we milled it, we packaged it, we delivered it to pick and pay, for example, um, and then directly to people you know, on the street. So that worked well. And ultimately, um, you know, we, we became debt free. You know, farming chemi uh, conventionally these days is extremely expensive and um, mm. most farmers are forever playing catch-up. They um, um, just, um, as I say, got to borrow a lot of money all the time from the banks and from the agricultural businesses to make men ends meet. And some years have brilliant years, other years have dismal failures. Um, a lot of factors play a role. Um, climate change for one, weather as a result um, and various policies that are practiced by governments. Um, Paul, just a technicality. Now and again, it seems to me I disappear. Is, are you picking me up constantly? I got you loud and clear and I can yeah. see you perfectly. So I think it's yeah. fine this side. Um, wow. Okay. So to um, something that you said that was interesting there is you said farming is about a mindset because you didn't come for, you didn't have a, a farming education. Your mindset was clear to be able to explore things that didn't, uh, that that didn't you didn't have a really clouded judgment on the topic. This is that's interesting to me because uh, one of the people that I follow a lot uh, is a, a podcaster and a, a businessman called Tom Billu. He founded a billion dollar company, and I listen to his podcast a lot. And one of the things that he says is he talks about a lot is the danger of being an expert, and how the more you know about a topic the more clouded your judgment can be on that topic because you can't see it with fresh eyes. Will you tell me a bit more about your 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 view on on farming as a mindset and um, and how it was for you trying to gain credibility in that industry where um, where you don't specifically have the qualification so to speak yeah um, yeah I think, uh, Paul um, I think every person has this issue uh, whether they consciously entertain it all the time like the, the guy you follow um, or yourself, which I know you do, um, is what it is. What what the question comes up, what drives me to to do what I do? Mm -hmm. um, and why do I select a certain field to do what I want to do? Um, and constantly there's something that's pushing us and every, every one of us has that feeling, you know, what is this all about? Um, um, and so one adopts a mindset, well, Okay, this is we in the old way of thinking. This is a uh, totally competitive world, and mm. the only way to succeed is by winning the competition. In other words, being the best organic farmer, the best um, paddler in your guys' case, or the best water, you know, guys that shoot waterfalls, or the best businessman, the, the Jeff Bezos of the world. Um, what what is it that drives every one of us? You know, and, mm. and and what for me was. What brought stark contrast is is knowing we're doing something, but we know we, we know it's wrong. For for example, um, when uh, farmers plant crops and big farmers plant big large areas under tract uh, vast tracts of land, and then they have to come in with big crop sprayers and spray toxic chemicals, knowing that toxic chemicals are going to kill everything in that field bar the crop and also possibly poison the applicator and then finally end up in the food supply. Yeah. We know that, the farmer knows that. Why do we continue doing that? That is the question. And that was what drove me to be able to, I think, you know, coming from the outside um, with a different mindset, a more holistic idea of, you know, what is happening and why are we doing it? Why? Because we did, I did farm conventionally in the sense that we used chemicals. And had some nasty incidents with chemicals. So the question then arose: Why is it is it purely a monetary thing that I'm trying to get? And if I, when I did get that, in other words, made some good money, I still wasn't satisfied. Something deep inside, just the, the, it wasn't ticking that box. And so back to the drawing board. And so I think every one of us are driven to try and, 
and find an answer to what drives us ultimately. And that's what drove me, was continuously to question what I was doing because I wasn't getting a satisfying answer within. Sure, I was ticking the boxes about financial box, you know, the three pillars that they talk about in business, your financial box, your social box, and your environmental box. Mm. I was ticking all three, and yet I wasn't happy. And then what I brought into it was the fourth pillar, um, which was called what I called a spiritual internal integral pillar. That is the one that I went started pursuing because that was where I discovered I couldn't tick the box. Mm. And so it became a, an inter, internal journey. So do you think that this, like, when you look at people like Jeff Bezos, do you think that that, that insatiable need to create more and more and more and more and more ridiculous wealth is because they're not ticking certain boxes and they're, they're chasing the wrong box? Um, it's that at face value, certainly, um, um, Paul. However, what, what um, I discovered, and, and for a long time I believed that, that that paradigm of thought, which is what most of our world 99.9% is based on is that we are, as humans, we become competitive, um, driven by instincts, driven by our genes, perpetuate our genes, men must just go out and win the game. Um, and that was the issue. And so we all believe in that paradigm, which is an old one since, since Darwin, Charles Darwin introduced the idea of uh, natural selection, uh, which was turned into survival of the fittest, which was a slight little misinterpretation um, of what he actually meant. Mm -hmm. um, natural selection doesn't mean survival of the fittest, but certainly applying to our, our genes, that's definitely it. Um, I, and, I believe the, the, the actual quote from Darwin wasn't uh, that it's something that it is not the strongest, the fastest, or the best that survives, but the one that's most adaptable to change. Isn't that the correct? Exactly. Exactly. So, yes, and, and Darwin actually left it out. He, he didn't try and tackle the, the issue of human and where we, our evolution because he said we, he didn't have enough science at the time. Um, and science is the thing that, we, that we're dealing with. And in agriculture, for me, it was about the science. Um, I practiced biodynamics for a while, which some people may know is to do with the Rudolf Steiners, um, which is a, who was a German um, philosopher. But um, a whole movement, agricultural movement, came out of that, um, out of Steiner's ideas. And a lot of it is a little bit esoteric for most people, but it is grounded in good ideas, yet it, a lot of it cannot be... At the time, he couldn't, he didn't have the science to prove it, you know, uh, that it was what, what works. And now today with scientific method and science has been able to prove that a lot of what biodynamics is and what he proposed actually works, even though it seems a bit weird, weird at the time. So the issue is science. What is science? And it's basically, it's, it's the pursuit of knowledge, which you mm -hmm. are completely after by interviewing the different people that come up, it's the pursuit of knowledge. And ultimately, the ultimate question as humans is, is self-knowledge. In other words, what am I, James, and who am I, and why am I um, today? And um, if you look at humanity then, in, in, in taking a broad scale of all the farmers that have been and are today, we're not doing a bloody good job because we're pretty much stuffing up everything if you think about it. Um, in terms of the world. Sure, we're producing food, but at a tremendous environmental cost. Why are we, we know we're doing it bad, but why are we doing it bad? So that got me asking the question, why do we continue to do something which we know is wrong, we can measure it, but we continue doing it? Mm. That, that is not an issue of genes or instincts, or that, that is an issue of, of in the head, mindset. So um, to, to go to the original way, where Darwin proposed the idea of evolution, there was a guy before him, uh, or just at about the same time, an American by the name of, of Fisk, John Fisk, who proposed that our issue is not um, about compet competition, it's about nurturing. That differentiates us from every other creature on the planet. The closest creatures who come close to doing that are, are the, what, we, what is known as the chimp, the, the um, pygmy chimpanzee today called the bonobo chimpanzee. The bonobos, yeah. You know about them. So, so they exhibiting pretty much the same behavior that now paleontology, which is the study of our you know, predecessors, 
were exhibiting at about the same time, the same development. And the way they measure it is incredible because that's science again. Science is catching up slowly to the concept that what religion and philosophy have been saying for a long time is that humanity are good. One talks about the original story and most so myths. You, come you, you said humanity, what is good? Is good. Okay, so fundamentally, uh, we're we're good. We're not evil. Is that is what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. But uh, exactly. so, just going back to the bonobos, are you saying that they are exhibiting nurturing? Yeah. Um, if 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 you've studied anything about the bon bonobos, and there's been a lot of research done, particularly in the United States, on their behaviour and also their psychology. I mean, to the extent that they have. Uh, psychologists and psychiatrists who consult to look at them and manage them. They are a matriarchal society mm -hmm. and everything is focused almost 100% on raising the baby bonobo. Okay. A baby bonobo growing up can't do anything wrong. I mean, that is just pure on that. And so what, um, what um, the people, you know, Fisk and the chaps were saying and subsequent authors, another chap on the name of Drummond, um, an American, um, uh, um, he was a religious guy, plus he was a scientist, suggested what was happening was they were indoctrinating the young in love. Yeah, I actually, I, I've, I do recall something about this where I, I've either read something or watched some kind of documentary about it. But basically what you're saying is that um, when you say they're indoctrinating the young with love, they, like you said, a baby bonobo can do no wrong in the fact that the parent recognizes that everything that the, the 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 child, so to speak, is exhibiting is a natural process of learning and discovery, and there's no shaming or punishing of any of its deeds. Everything is celebrated as it's part of its development and met with love instead of any kind of, um, like I said, shaming. Is that is that am I on the right track here? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so so that's that is an example of of what what happened to us the question then arises why are we today so divisive competitive egotistical if you consider that we've evolved from where the bonobo are today which is probably about two million years two and a half million years ago the the scientific record the paleontological record shows what happened that we became what we are today which is labeled as evil and some scientists have labeled as saying oh we've got evil genes and we've got altruistic genes in other words we we've got good genes and bad genes but by definition a gene cannot be either it is just there for survival yeah it's, it's, it's not it's neither one or the other it just is it is as darwin says survival there of that fittest gene and for it it is if you sh if a gene showed altruistic tendencies it would not be long in the game. It'll be tossed out because someone else say, oh, sure, you can help me, but I'm not going to help you. And that's what's gene. So, so our issue is, uh, um, uh, as humans is, is not a, a genetic thing, as has been proposed by, by mainstream science for a long time. It's, it's an issue, if you think about it, of mindset. In other words, me as a farmer, if I start farming chemically, I'm killing constantly. That is the mode I'm applying the soil, the soil, I'm spraying um, continuous, continuously to keep the crop alive. And then in the process, I end up poisoning clients because they buy the crop, which is now saturated with, with, um, with chemicals. That's a mindset. It's an issue of decisions of the mind. So but why do we continue doing that? So mm. it's not an animal, it's not an instinctive issue. In other words, nothing to do with our bodies. In other words, our genes, it's to do with our head. So... There's something, something here which needs to be twisted. And that's that what kept me driving on, trying to find an answer to why I did things. And sure, being an organic farmer is a great thing, but we all know as men, we've all done some nasty, dirty stuff, which we don't want to talk about. In other words, it's to do with something else. That's our shadow that we're talking about. Where does that come from? Where indeed? <laughs> <laughs> But now, okay, just go. Let's let's dial back again, back to the bonobos and back to the the parenting side of things. You've got uh, three boys, right? I've had the pleasure of knowing one of them quite well, and uh, I'll just say it out outright that you've done you've done a good job. 
Um, I've got two boys, still very small. One's only eight and nearly four. And um, when you go back to this whole thing of uh, of this uh, progressive parenting type of situation where we're going to look at how the bonobos look at the child and recognize that it does no actual wrong, there's no malice involved, it's that sort of thing. And then you look at the traditional, especially like Zimbabwean slash South African traditional upbringing of, you know, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child type of situation. Um, how do you balance that? Because how do you know when to lay down the law and when to allow uh, the child to do its own development? Because, I mean, if you if you talk to a lot of the people I, I grew up with and come from and, and uh, from where I come from, they they will basically tell you that the entire problem with the world now is the fact that kids have no discipline and that they're not getting spanked and not getting hidings and not getting um not getting uh the law laid down basically yeah so yeah. where where do you <clears throat> where do you draw the line between the two how do you how do you even where do you start I think, I think uh, <laughs> that's a brilliant question um for yeah yeah um I mean, when 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 Charlie and and his brothers were growing up, uh, my mindset was still of of an old old scientific mindset, which is um, which I grew up with, and my parents grew up with, and my grandfather, and so on, and so back through the generations for the last ten thousand plus years, going up to possibly two million years ago, according to the the, the latest science, um, was that need to discipline, um, and there was a good reason for that because we didn't understand what was going on you know in the bigger picture the macro picture um, um there was a need to to absolutely apply discipline because if a child's going to keep knocking over the glass door keep putting his finger into the um, planter unit and gets a tune up he's not uh, he or she not going to learn so sure charlie and his brothers grew up on the traditional trajectory of discipline um, um but at, at some stage i was questioning this because even though one can discipline a child, there's some children who just, um, who some, I mean, children differ from child to child, but all of them are testing their, the world that they're living. So as they grow up, you'll see, and you've seen with your sons, they, from small, they are crawling around, testing the world, touching, smelling, tasting, trying to find out what about the world. In other words, they're growing, the consciousness of what is around them is growing continuously. Now, what they do do is, subconsciously they're expecting love and not mm -hmm. discipline so so when you start disciplining a child because we're we're at work as men we, we're out there working all the time and you get home and, and charles has done something silly and i wind him up and give him a, a thousand words for doing something he he wasn't expecting to be to be blasted by the the one half of the you know his his father who he loves unconditionally giving him a thousand words and mm. we all experienced that. Our parents winding us up and we're saying, what the hell is this all about? So, yes, need for discipline, but why did we need that discipline? What happened? Again, what, why did we run off the track so to be? Why are we not perfect, um, ideal citizens of the world who don't uh, break anything or et cetera, et cetera? And people will say, it's, it's just in the nature of things. I'm saying, no, it's not the nature. It's not our, our, our original deep self that is a problem. It's our mind, which is the problem. In other words, we, we've got an issue up here that, that needs to be sorted. So how come would a child have that issue? But a child grand will see, will mimic. I mean, Charlie and the boys mimicked us. In everything we did, they were mimicking us. So they mimicked good things and they mimicked bad things. They see their parents fighting and they say, whoa, what's going on here? And when they get older, they start seeing it out there, people carrying on crazily, and particularly now in the world when youngsters are looking out at the world and they're saying, look, what's going on? I'm not keen on this world. It's crazy. Block it off. Keep it away. And start start acting up, as we call it. And we reply with, uh, react with discipline. But actually, the acting up is them saying, look, there's something wrong, deeply wrong with this world. And I think we, can, we both, and I think most people agree, there's something hugely uh, upset about our world and, and that's the question that I had to pursue because we went the homeschooling route with the boys and eventually the unschooling route where we allowed them to decide on what they had, they could or couldn't learn um, 
with some steering and that, that fell mostly on Vanessa because I was out making a living. Um, mm. so, so it's a tough one, Paul. Um, you know, everybody says discipline and what's happening to the world now. The greatest disciplinary act in modern history has happened with COVID-19 with lockdown around the world. Mm. Argue either way why, how it would happen, but we do know human or people are getting extremely upset. You just look at what's happening in, our, in South Africa, what happened in Zimbabwe, what's now happening in the United States. Everybody is at an upset, huge upset stake. Um, and, the, and it's not about our genes. It's no. absolutely our heads. Because if, if you had to broadcast something and Trump had to, and Biden had to hug together and say, listen, let's get together. We form a dual presidency. We rule together to make people happy. You're still going to have massive upset. And it's all to do with mindset. But do you think that mindset? Because in my in my personal opinion on the matter, when I've when I've looked at it, I've I've, I've done a, a a lot of work <laughs> on myself in the last pretty much three years, really. Like pretty much since Charles left, um, I went through quite a rough patch. No, Charles, it wasn't because you left. I did miss you, bro. But <laughs> but um, yeah. So I I I, I had to, I had a lot of things to reflect on, and what I noticed that the biggest problem that I had in my own personal mindset was entitlement. And when I look around at the various issues that are stemming in Zimbabwe, South Africa, in the US at the moment, all over the world, the one common denominator that I seem to, to, to find is this, this, this underlying entitlement that people seem to have that they're owed something, that they're entitled to something that without having to actually do anything, they should be given something, uh, whether it's recognition, whether it's uh, uh, land, whether it's uh, benefits, whether it's, whether it's tangible or intangible, there's that underlying feeling of entitlement. And the only time that I really managed to get myself out of my funk and out of my own terrible mindset that I was in was when I decided to give up that entitlement and realize that I am actually not entitled to anything. I'm not even entitled to the air that I breathe and I'm not entitled to wake up the tomorrow and have anything. I'm The only thing I'm entitled to is the pursuit of whatever I want to achieve. And I think, I don't know what you, if you have anything to say on that point. Um, yeah, good one. Um, Paul, yeah, no, that, that's, that, that's certainly a major, major problem and, and, I think if you think about it, um, children growing up, I mean, when you were growing up, and, and you remember the time, or you may not, but you certainly know the time now when your boys are asking you questions. At some stage, they say, you give them an answer, and they say, why? You give them a, and then you give them another answer, and they say, why again? And it's <laughs> a constant asking of why, 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 why? Um, and ultimately, what they are doing they don't know how to verbalize their discomfort at that stage of what, they, what they're experiencing in the world, both at home or at preschool or at school, because they're not sure what it's all about. And parents and adults and you know, all the adult world, bar very few people, have the true answers as to why are we doing what we're doing? In other words, why are we destroying our planet? Um, and children are certainly... Um, and teenagers um, are certainly making that call loudly. Uh, Greta Thunberg is, is one who, who came out and said, you know, well, what's happening, people? You know, the adults, why is the world being buggered up like it is? So, and no one can really answer them. Why are we doing it? And that's the question. The entitlement is actually an entitlement to wanting to have a real answer to the, the world. And why it's so fucked up? Excuse my language. Um, <laughs> it certainly is. Um, and and there's, there's no need to are, cover up your swearing. We like to keep it real here. <laughs> I swear in this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so so yeah, that that is a question we've all all asked. And and the entitlement is actually in in a way, um, this new generation and possibly yeah, um, particularly in 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 um, poorer countries around the world, um, developing countries, who, who see, because of, of cell phones and technology, can see what's happening in, in Jeff Bezos's um, latest yacht or something at his boat or his island or something, and they're sitting in, in the backwards of near Bulawayo in, in the forest there, looking at this and saying, well, why, what has he done that I can't have that? 
And that's the question. But underneath that question is why is the world so uneven? Why are there so few that have so much and so many that have so little? And that comes down to fundamental things about competition. Jeff Bezos is an extremely good competitor. So he's made a lot of money and a bunch of other uh, billionaires. But that is the belief of an old-fashioned, outdated science. Um, um, some great South African um, philosophers and scientists, amongst them Eugene Marais, who wrote The uh, Soul of the Ape and The Soul of the White Ant, an incredible thinker, way ahead of his time. You know, he, he was proposing um, scientific principles of things that he'd observed in nature about the Chakma baboon in particular mm -hmm. and the white ant um, or, uh, that he wrote down in, it was the late, early 19, 1900s, that today science is still trying to find out what he was actually saying. Though there are some guys like Griffith, who's a biologist, who's managed to understand what he's saying, and is that we are not driven by our instincts. We're driven by a conflict between our instincts and our conscious thinking mind, which in other words, our head, our intellect, which is only uh, our conscious thought, which is about me thinking while I'm talking to you, um, while at the same time, my heart carries on ticking and, and pumping blood around my system. That's a genetic operation. This is an intellectual operation. Hmm. So, so um, Marie was one of the first to recognize there's a conflict that's going on when you're growing up between the genetic system, operating system, and the newly emerging conscious system. And at the time he saw, he observed this, he wrote this in watching young children growing up. He said at a time in their life, there seemed to be a struggle between the two until the intellect actually overtook. But that struggle, which in our term, the human condition, um, happens in all of us. And it's about the intellect trying to gain knowledge about itself. So ultimately, we caught up in this internal crisis of why. And so that's why the issue of shadow comes up and what you were. And I remember when you mentioned earlier when you were investigating after Charlie had left and you wrote the Chronicles of Suntua, um, I was following that. And I could almost in a way feel what you were going through because I'd been through that as well. And I think everybody goes through that. And some to a deeper extent, like you, you know, going deeply into what Jung, Carl Jung, the psychoanalyst, termed our shadow. Mm. Um, which is absolutely necessary, he said, for us to understand ourselves, is to understand our shadow. And this is what we, what, what he, he termed, and subsequent um, psychologists term shadow work. And, but the issue comes back to why did it initially happen? So Maria was one of the few guys who recognized it, um, and, and a bunch of other scientists, but it's too confronting for science to handle. You need a holistic perspective. You know, one of your countrymen, Alan Savory, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, Alan, holistic uh, management. Mm -hmm. Alan, Alan was be, was able to step out and take a look at what was happening from a macro point of view to the land in Zimbabwe, or then Rhodesia, and northern Rhodesia where he grew up, and saw what was happening, and then see what nature was doing in the in the in the uh, wildlife reserves, and then mimic that. So he terms it holistic, and that's from Jan Smuts's um, holism, which means a greater, you know, the bigger picture of things. So science as we know today is totally non-holistic. That is mechanistic reductionist. I mean, you studied, you know, you know more and more about less and less as you get deeper and deeper into the PhDs and doctorates and so on. And that's the inability of our minds to cope with that holistic picture and the fact that we actually are good um, deep down. You know, if you look at the Bonobo who, who, who raised and they don't do anything on actual fact. If someone starts misbehaving in the Bonobo society, the matriarchs, in other words, the leaders of the troop, will discipline someone who's or a Bonobo that's not behaving. And how are we 99.7% genetically the same as the Bonobo? They're the closest living animal to us. So the, this. I, I heard a, an interesting stat the other day that we are actually. Uh, humans and bonobos are more closely related than bonobos and gorillas to yeah, give you perspective yeah. like Absolutely. that's that's quite mind-blowing just let's just take a second uh quickly i just want to uh, acknowledge some comments and uh if you're only just joining us now um i'm chatting to james moffat when we're talking about the human condition as uh 
as put forward by Jeremy Griffiths, and uh, who's an evolutionary biologist who wrote a book called Freedom. We'll dive more into that in a minute. Um, we have a comment here from Val Chikali. Oh, there's the book right there. It's a big one. <laughs> um, Val saying, I draw the line when their lives are in danger. This is in relation to what we were saying earlier is where do we draw the line between discipline and, and facing everything with uh, love and understanding. I think that's a, a good point. When lives are in danger, you need to jump around and do what needs to be done. Um, Melanie Pike was saying, brilliant topic that needs to be unpacked even more. I said to James before we went live that uh, this isn't going to fit an hour. We're going to have to do <laughs> we're going to have to do a few more shows together. Um, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Brighton. He's a friend of mine in Vic Falls. He's got his own podcast, which is very cool, which you should uh, should check out. Um, he's busy hosting a watch party at his house, so there's uh, roughly ten people at his house watching us right now all together. So thank you, Brighton, for that. It's great to have you, um, Sham saying on point with the entitlement and now we've got some bigger comments we've got one from uh, trav norkey trav is saying hi james you've mentioned jeff bezos a few times your thoughts please on a self-made multi-billionaire should he be forced to share his wealth or is it um his to use as he pleases i've got something to say on that too but i'll let you go first james <laughs> thanks paul um a very good question. Um, yeah, um, I think you know um, certainly on the discipline of children to prevent them hurting themselves the first time. Absolutely, um, that's that's why laws were developed. Um, our civilization, when when we when we um, as humans um, in our evolution, about twelve, fourteen thousand years, it's still getting pinned down exactly when we started settling down and living in community. Otherwise, stop, we stopped being hunter-gatherers. Um, and if you think of hunter-gatherers, Paul and I in Southern Africa and those in, in Africa will know about the, the, the San or Khoisan or Bushmen as they were known. They, the oldest living human race, and that's been proven recently in science. Um, when they settle down, and what's happened is they have now settled down through forcing, in other words, regulation and laws. They've been restricted. Um, some are still lucky enough to have access, like in Namibia, who provide them their own land to go back to and where they can hunt again. But as soon as you restrict human uh, activity, particularly in their search for knowledge, science, which is which is the, the uh, which is derived from the Greek word. Um, um, knowledge. Um, we're looking for knowledge, and if you restrict that, then it prevents us on our evolutionary path. We cannot continue our evolutionary path. So, with regards to Jeff Bezos, he's done exactly what science says he must do. Today's mechanistic science, which goes around, the, uh, we, we're driven by our genes. That's the argument which which, which we now disagree with, and the new science proves is, is, is now um false um and it was false for a good reason for a time it, it gets quite difficult here yeah, and paradoxical however jeff bezos did what he did as a competitive perpetuate his genes winning the match and therefore he's done what he's done in other words he's ticked the box of being a human according to today's science so we what we need as you're asking is should we penalize him now for being a uh, ticking the box of being a human, you know, according to the classic scientific definition. And I think that is totally wrong. It is absolutely wrong. If Jeff understood the, the biology that I've been, the new biology, which I've been now talking about, and the explanation of our condition as humans, that we, we are not competitive, we not um, perpetu perpetuating our gene at all costs, we, we are suffering, and the reason why we do that, we're suffering from a, a mental issue as a result of a conflict between our original instinctive soul or self and our newly developed consciousness. And that is why we, and as a result of that, we're suffering tremendously psychologically and, and, and the neurosis as well. So what we're trying to do then is make up for that. And we can only make up for that is if you can buy another cell phone or some new thing which gives you temporary material relief and 
for a while that's cool for, and then you have to go out and buy something else to make you happy before that it was religion and before that it was different other forms of of regulation so to now force regulation is what's happened under covid and certainly it was it was justified but imagine living under covid forevermore that is what you entail is regulating people people should be allowed to pursue truth and the knowledge and finding of absolute truth which now we know fortunately griffith has explained in this it's incredible book of his and and the thing is about this guy jeremy uh, griffith he's an australian biologist who questioned the same things that we all question why is the world so messed up why do people act so competitively aggressively and egotistically when the ideals of life and we know the ideals of life every one of us knows the ideals and even when you grow up you've got this moral feeling within you that life is about um loving when you're young and as parents we love nurturing sharing these are the ideals of life and but why don't we do that and that is the issue we're dealing about so to 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 take um laws to restrict us to yes to prevent killing and that absolutely i agree but to restrict people to to um uh pursue their passion and it, jeff bezos has pursued his passion to become a multi-billionaire the best way for him to spread his wealth is not to regulate it because he'll find ways to escape those regulations we know that what we need to do is to ask jeff to understand that he's not a competitive animal he's a, a psychologically affected person like the rest of us on this planet and psychosis can be healed with understanding we can change and we can understand and we can transform mindsets so that was my big shift as a farmer from this mindset of well looking this is the the mindset of chemical farming i can i came in there and i said well that doesn't fit my paradigm i want to produce good food for my family safe food i need to move out of that paradigm and i did that possibly but it still didn't satisfy why we were doing what we were doing ultimately it's 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 brain food that we need mm. um, more than anything else mm, absolutely um <laughs> it it makes what i was going to say just seem silly now so i'm i'm going to uh <laughs> i just i just i just ask myself i've i've asked myself this question a, a thousand times over the last year or so when looking at cuz i think extreme wealth has been a topic that people are starting to look at and say hey wait a minute when you when you're doing when you when you're that level of wealthy what are you actually doing with it and i i've sat to and i've sat and thought to myself if i had a billion dollars what would i do and my answer the only answer i can give you is that i would literally be batman and uh <laughs> and what i mean by that is i would take my billion dollars and i would invest it so that my family is good for the rest of their lives and i'd make sure that it ticks over and you know when you've got a billion dollars making more more billion dollars is is a lot simpler than it is to make the first billion dollars um but literally every cent over a billion dollars i would utilize that to physically go and help the world in some way or another because that's just i can't understand why you wouldn't when you've got so much excess that you are so satiated in every aspect of your life the only thing left is as you said just to tick the spiritual box or the humanitarian box and so when i say i would literally be batman i mean i would use every single cent above a billion dollars to be out there physically trying to change the bad things i see in the world and i and when i look at someone like jeff bezos or even bill gates or any of these big billionaires and sure they they donate to charity and they have this foundation and that foundation but it's piss compared to what they actually have and it it really upsets me <laughs> because the proportion of what they do with their wealth is to to what they actually have is actually it's just token bullshit really at the end of the day i agree um paul absolutely um and i remember when when uh, the floods um in eastern zimbabwe and mozambique few years ago when you were still there and you volunteered your time and expertise and you went and you you did a lot of saving of people that were stranded which is which which have no people that are nowhere related to you and now you've reiterated what you would do with that ex 
over your first billion, your second billion, you're going to use to be better. <laughs> I mean, that, what, what is that? That's an altruistic act, which is totally in cross purposes with what science says we are. Science says, no, we, must, we are competitive, aggressive, and we must um, pursue those things because they're saying it's, it's, that's what drives us. But you just demonstrated both by your actions then in, in Mozambique and, and, and Zimbabwe, and now with what you're saying, what you do, is that you've got an altruistic side to us. In other words, a cooperative side. So at heart, when, 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 when the prophets of old, for example, in the Bible and every other um, um, culture has its myth of the same sort of description of, and particularly in the Bible, because the Bible is the most, the most printed book in the world, um, where they, in the Old Testament they talk about Adam and Eve who left the Garden of Eden when they ate from the tree of knowledge. It was actually a development and, and fell out of favor. That was the development of consciousness. But before that, everything was honky-dory. It was a beautiful world, the Bonomo world. And then suddenly consciousness developed and they were thrown out. They suddenly knew what things were about. And every, every myth has that. Every culture has that, that sort of description. Before that, it was absolute altruism, cooperative living. And then suddenly we stopped doing that. Mm. And now you saw it is still within us. It's the, uh, Immanuel Kant, another great uh, philosopher from a few centuries ago, said there are two things that absolutely fascinate him. is the moral nature of humans or mankind and the, and the starry skies above. Mm. Morals that we have. Now, where do those morals come from? We're born with them. So your moral instinct we call it instinct, is there. It's that old way, the Bonobo way of wanting to help others, no matter who they are, no matter color, creed, we want to do that. And um, the people who, who are extremely competitive, like the Jeff Bezos and the Gates and the Trumps of the world, have led the charge for knowledge. It is from them, they're spending money on science to make a faster railway, to make a quicker phone, to make a quicker laptop. Whatever the case may be, discover the first vaccine for COVID. It is what's driving the search, our search for understanding of who we are. Now, what's what the tragedy is, um, um, Paul, is that now, from the outskirts and 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 in the nature of scientific revolutions, um, um, a scientist—I can't remember the guy's name—but he spoke at dramatic changes in science come from outside the scientific establishment. Darwin's theory on the evolution, and Darwin's considered the greatest biologist ever. He was working from his home. He had been cast out, out of the universities. He was a loner on his own, and he came up with this theory. And he was vilified at the time. He was laughed at. He, it was his tragedy. And yet today, most people believe in evolution. It's pretty well scientifically proven. Now, Griffith this brings us actually full circle to where we started, saying that uh, when you aren't marred by the, the clouds of knowledge already, you have the, the ability to open your eyes and, and discover more than uh, you would otherwise. And this brings us back to your not farming background to, into farming. This is quite, that's great. Uh, I like it when things come full circle like that. Well, everything is. I mean, ultimately, Einstein was one of the guys and, and Stephen Hawkins, they both said there's an order behind everything yeah, in, in their... Uh, in the in the when people ask them, do you believe in something great? They say, well, everything's ordered, and that's pretty clear. Even though it's considered chaos, um, I, I look at what what you did. You studied uh, uh, pharmacy, and you became a pharmacist, blending and so on. And then you said, no, this is not making you tick your boxes. You're going to go and do what you love, passionately, and you you did it with passion. I remember, and, and you scared a lot of us, and you and, and why I try. <laughs> that's a good. Uh, but the, the point I'm trying to make is you were pursuing your passion. And in that passion, you could help more people because you were extremely, you were doing what came naturally to you, which comes naturally to every person given the opportunity. We want to help others. And it's not genetic. It is our heart and brain coming into alignment. Um, and Griffith certainly is the one who's explained it. I mean, he's brought it all together and tremendously. I mean, he synthesized all the research for the last, from the last couple of hundred years particularly the latest uh, science into how our heads work and our nerves, because it's, that's all about learning and, and that consciousness, the ability to make conscious decisions and the ability to make conscious decisions is marred by what? And if we do something stupid, 
there's, there must be a glitch in the processing system because what's up here and everybody's is an incredibly powerful computer mm. and they will not, I mean, you know it, you've seen what the numbers about what, what our brains can do. And we're only operating, I think, max 5% of it. Well, we I think I think that's that's that uh, has been debunked. That whole we only use a portion of our brains. We actually use the whole thing. But but I I get what you're saying. I just have to say we're. <laughs> I told you this would go quick. We've got ten minutes roughly left. Um, I've got a bunch of comments I need to to uh, to acknowledge now. So I just want to tell everybody this. Thank you so much for your input. I'm going to push through these comments now. If you have something you want to say or a question you want to ask or something you want to add, please drop it in now because I do want to try and keep this to an hour. I do think that we're going to have to do this again and uh, continue from where we left off because this is too good to to just uh, to cut off short. Um, but yeah, so let's get through these comments and then we'll have to start winding things down a bit and uh, and then we'll have to pick up again next time. So from uh, Melanie Pike, uh, entitlement can be dangerous, um, can be a dangerous thing and has a double-edged sword. Speaking from experience, it's problematic uh, form. It is conceptualized as having uh, roots in emotional deprivation in childhood, especially when the child was used as a narcissistic extension by parents. Not always. This special role becomes a learned attitude and behavior and refuge and defense against the hurt, shame and fear resulting from the experience. Anger and vindictiveness provoked by this coercion and deprivation. Sorry, I can't see the whole comment. I'm just going to go back to try and find it. Um, deprivation can reach de dangerous, murderous proportions with defensive entitlement. Abuse can be a result. Also, our conscious only uh, our conscious only accounts for five to ten percent of thoughts resulting in actions. Some research suggests subconscious drives most. Self-discovery, honesty with ourselves, not blaming others for our behaviors and taking responsibility is key to healing those traumas. Absolutely. I am 100% in agreement with that. Do you have anything to add to that or can I move to the next? Uh, brilliant, uh, Melanie. Ab absolutely bang on target. You know, there's so many books which haven't been, you know, in the mainstream, but which, which um, directly correlate the first few years of growing up of a child up to about nine years old um with um and subsequent behavior and olive schreiner who's a, a south african people may know who, who uh, wrote a very popular book uh, a, a feminist and, and 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 almost a prophet in a way she said it's it's the hand that rocks the cradle and those first few years are what makes a child in those first eight years after that it's just veneer so you absolutely bang on target absolutely um, <clears throat> Leo Jones says it makes sense that we're good and not bad. Uh, Brighton was asking, where do we get the book? But I see Charles has uh, put the link into the comments. So if you look in the comments, look for Charles Moffat's comment there. He'll show you the, you can get the book for free from the World Transformation Movement, uh, humancondition.com. Um Greg is saying, so we today believe that happiness is the next thing through instant gratification. Uh, Val Chikali says, Mr. Moffat, you have a lovely mind. Um, and uh, Greg is also saying, what a wonderful conversation this is. I agree. I've had a wonderful time. And then Rosie is saying, do what you can do with the, capacity, with the capacity that you have. I do with my heart that is beyond any monetary con contribution and the return to me is the wonderful knowing of so many beautiful people. Well, that's exactly it. That's also, I've always, uh, I've always been one to try and give with my time more than with my wallet because my wallet has been mostly empty. <laughs> so... <laughs> This is the same thing when it came to when it came to going to Chimani Mani in Mozambique. I didn't have any money, so I, all I could do was offer my hands. Great, that's an excellent comment um, from from Val, Greg, and and Rosie. Um, Greg, yes, um, Greg. Look, you know the the, the one thing about what we've been talking about the human condition. The reason why it's not, and, and, and the truthful 
what it really is about. The human condition isn't about poverty or war or whatever. You know, those are manifestations of the deeper underlying problem that we have, which is why are we good and why are we evil or bad? That is that is what the human condition is. It's, it's a psychological issue. And Griffith, biologist Jeremy Griffith, with the help, you know, he, he, he he, he synthesized an idea which had been around for a long time. The, the prophets of old, from Abraham, Moses, Christ, Muhammad, they've all spoken about this, this human condition. And the first philosopher, Plato, wrote about it in his book, The Republic, in 364 BC. So Griffiths has just taken science to verify what religion and philosophy have been saying all the time. So he's managed to weld the two together, the two sides of the coin come together. It's now that mechanistic science has to understand the, the holistic viewpoint which he's presented. And if you're really interested you know, um, in this topic, that book that, that uh, Paul mentioned, the Freedom Book, it's, it's, a, it's a serious read because it's, it's, uh, it's a massive tome. And what Griffith's done recently, and if in the UK you can watch the interview where um, British actor Craig Conway interviews Jeremy Griffiths, um, you can watch that interview on the WTM website. Or you can get you can get this little book, and and um, oops, I'm trying to see so you can see it. Um, you can you can download it for free, and and by the way, I'm not getting anything for this. This is what Paul and I have in common. We've got this altruistic streak in us, which every human has. We want to understand why we want to help other people, and because that is our natural way. You look at children when they're young; they want to help each other until they start learning the habits of entitlement and all those things. That we that Melanie spoke about. We've got one more comment here that I'm curious about uh, from Francois uh, Botha Boerta. Uh, James had a car running on empty. Is there something we need to know here? <laughs> Francois, thank, thanks for the reminder. Um, Francois and I, well, we're at university about the same time. He was a bit ahead of me. And um, uh, at the time, I, I had a little Datsun. Um, sedan 1200 which um, used to get refills of fuel petrol at about a rand ago because that's all we could afford so it's fuel gauge was always running on empty and of course <laughs> the best thing was we were playing Jackson Brown's music running on empty oh nice However, I, sc I scored the idea from an old school uh, buddy for you from school days he called his car the first uh, Jackson and running on empty is the, the song that got the name yeah, but if you're from Zimbabwe, uh, running on E is uh, standard because uh, you always got to wait in the fuel queue. So uh, in Zimbabwe, we don't say E for empty. We say it's E for enough. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think we're going to wrap it up there. And like I said, I would absolutely love to do this again with you, James, at some stage. Um, and... Uh, I don't know, I, I suppose it's not public knowledge, I don't know if you know, but basically I have a, a group, a specific group, a private group for just past guests that we have, which is set up so that we can discuss other things. And also because I like to do a panel discussion every now and again over a specific topic, if you're interested uh, in coming onto the panel for a specific chat about around a specific theme, that we would be great to have your input as well from a different perspective. Because with those panel topics, I try to get as many different perspectives to look at the single topic so that we can get so many different ideas about it and then really draw some proper conclusions on, you know, for yourself. We don't, the, the, the show is not about pushing a conclusion, but rather looking at six different perspectives and letting whoever's watching draw conclusions from that. We had a great one about hunting and conservation a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago now, I guess, and seeing the different perspective i had an american i had uh i had uh proper zimbabweans i had uh you know so, so such a diverse opinions on the topic that it was it was really interesting um so yeah i'd like to invite you into that group and uh, see if you'd be interested in on that as well but then also i'd love to do more one-on-one -on -one with you and dive more into this wherever possible but uh yeah I think we're going to wrap it up there and uh, thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed this chat and I think we've got so much more to speak about. Thanks, Paul. No, that was fantastic. Thank you for having me on the show. And I look forward to more discussions anytime you let me know and I'll be Wonderful. available.
Wonderful. Right, everybody. Thank you for watching. Thank you for everybody who uh, gave input and dropped your comments. That uh, without you guys, it's uh, it's a completely different animal. And um, at the end of the day, it's uh, what it's all about: spreading the love, really. So you know where we are every Wednesday. Different guests, different topics, different things. More information. Always stuff to learn. And uh, join us. Share it with your friends. Get involved in the conversation. And um, yeah, we'll see you next week. Good night. Thank you.